0: I'm Terence e. Gannon, and this is the Not There Yet podcast, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The future of warfare is lighter than air. The airship hangars at Telamac trigger a cascade of memories. My family first visited the Oregon coast in the early 1970s. My mother picked Rockaway, seemingly at random, from the motor club guide and we stayed at the Silver Sands, an old-fashioned drive-up motel on the beach. All five of us squeezed into a single suite, the most memorable thing about which was the mysterious Magic Fingers relaxation service. This was a box on the night table, which if you put in a quarter made the bed vibrate in a way which made absolutely no sense to a 12-year-old. How on earth would you ever get to sleep, I thought. Obviously not yet fully able to understand that sleeping may not have been the point. Back then it just seemed odd. Using Rockaway as a base, we took our 69 Dodge Dart up and down Highway 101 and eventually found our way to the county seat of Tillamook, a short drive south of our motel. As we passed out of Tillamook's downtown, heading further south, it was hard to miss what was once Naval Air Station Tillamook the most prominent feature of which were the two massive airship hangars. N.A.S. Tillamook had been closed in 1948, a mere handful of years after it was commissioned. I can remember the hangars appearing to rise almost as if they were growing up from the verdant fields south of the city. If I squinted a little to blur the edges of my vision, it was easy to imagine that it was a scant 30 years earlier under the heavy overcast of World War II. It could not have been a coincidence. Precisely one year to the day, after the forces of Imperial Japan launched the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, the ground was broken for the construction of the air station at Tillamook. It was December the 7th, 1942, and it was a time when the future looked bleak. Tillamook was to be an important part of the response to this dark time, one of a network of 10 coastal defense airship bases distributed along the periphery of the contiguous United States. Combined with the speed and range of the K-class airships the hangars would eventually house, the bases provided a continuous band of aerial surveillance for the entire coast, ready to provide an early warning of whatever might come in the days that lay ahead. Wood, six million board feet of it, was the natural choice of construction material for the hangars, given its ample local supply in the Pacific Northwest, It was also a necessity given that metal of all kinds was being consumed at an alarming rate by the rest of the war effort. When viewed and on, it's easy to spot the feature which enables short, stubby, square sawn timbers to be assembled into such impressive, organic structures. The cross-section of the hangers are beautiful, mathematically perfect parabolas resembling the pointed end of an egg. They are naturally self-supporting in the same manner as the stone arches found in Gothic cathedrals. The hangars were over 1,000 feet in length and nearly 300 feet in width at ground level, and the floor covered seven acres. The doors, supported by two poured concrete columns at each end of the structures, stood 120 feet high. For reasons which are not clear today, the first hangar built was Hangar B, with construction beginning in 1943. Its length was roughly aligned northeast to southwest, just east of the present-day Tillamook Airport. Hangar A, started later that same year, was oriented at roughly 90 degrees to be aligned northwest to southeast. The relative positioning of the two hangars would provide the most favorable access, given the nearly constant winds that shear up and down the coast. Both hangars were substantially complete by August of that year, with the main lattice work structure of Hangar A being completed in just 27 days. It was a remarkable feat. Then again, it is easy to imagine that those working on the hangars through the summer of 1943 would believe they were directly helping to repel a growing threat from across the Pacific. Peril seemed destined to wash ashore once again just as it had the previous year. The K-class airships housed at Tillamook belong to a subgroup of airships called Blimps. The main gas envelope has no rigid structure. It contains its shape solely from the pressure exerted by the gas it contains. The K-Class blimps were filled with non-flammable helium as opposed to the nearly explosive hydrogen when it's mixed with air. Blimps are a beautifully simple concept. If the enclosed gas weighs less than the air it pushes aside, it naturally floats like a cork on a sea of air. Balancing the lift of the lighter-than-air gas the blimp contains with the weight of the vehicle structure means the airship hovers as if by magic, It neither rises or descends without consuming any energy. By adding a couple of 425-horsepower Pratt & Whitney radial engines, the airship's streamlined, cartoon cigar shape could be moved through the air at a stately, graceful pace, at least in aeronautical terms, of 58 miles per hour. Like the hangars in which they would be housed, the airship's form was elegantly simple, with only a small crew gondola and aft-mounted control surfaces protruding from its silver Art Deco silhouette. They carried a crew of as many as ten, could stale off without refueling for a day and a half, and travel well over 2,000 miles in one flight. In the absence of any competing technology with even close to the same capabilities, it was an air vehicle ideally suited for an anti-submarine and convoy escort role. They were only lightly armed, with their principal value in getting a clear view from above of what was going on below. A Navy recruiter of that era talking to one of his charges about signing up for the airship service could have been forgiven the hyperbole of saying, the future of warfare is lighter than air. I brought my wife to the Oregon coast for the first time in the early 1990s, and for lack of any better idea, we also stayed at the Silver Sands in Rockaway. The Magic Fingers relaxation service was long gone, but otherwise very little had changed in nearly 30 years. The location was still spectacular. The town center, still clustered no more than a block or two from Highway 101, was pretty much the same. One exception was the diner on the south side of town. It was making the best of a terminal case of soil subsidence and had been renamed the Sunken Treasure. In our annual trips that followed, it was always a little more sunken and a little less of a treasure each year until eventually it disappeared altogether, having collapsed in on itself. It was funny in a way, and sad. We had spoken to the owners once, and all of their life savings were tied up in that place. They complained that tourists that stopped only wanted to know where they could find Keiko the Whale, who at the time was imprisoned at Newport, just down 101. It seems the couple's subsiding, slanted dream had been elbowed aside by another whale-sized dream, which eventually didn't work out either. As with the visits in the early 70s, my wife and I initially used Rockway as a base for excursions up and down the coast, north to Astoria, Seaside, Cannon Beach, and Oswald West, and south to Twin Rocks, Garibaldi, Bay City, and eventually to Tillamook. As we drove past the Blue Heron and the Cheats Factory— through town and then south to the farmer's fields, it became evident that something terrible had happened to the airship hangars which I told her we would find there. One of the two long, low, graceful buildings had been amputated from the landscape. From the approach, all that appeared to remain of Hangar A were the four concrete columns which had once supported the mammoth doors. Closer inspection revealed all that remained was concrete or steel. Everything else had been scoured away. In addition to the monolithic door columns, there was the complex series of supports which formed the base of the thousand-foot-long walls. There was not one scrap, one splinter of the original timbers remaining. Like something out of a dystopian science fiction novel, what was once the cathedral-like interior space of the hangar had already been invaded by new industrial tenants. They had set up their new, complicated-looking facilities on the smooth seven-acre floor. The plant quietly oozed steam into the sweet, damp evening air. In a decision that seems highly questionable only in retrospect, Hangar A had been leased out to store bales of hay en route to Japan. There were other tenants of the space, including a couple who were renovating their recreational vehicle, the only home they had known for nine years. The small fortune in annual maintenance of the hangars was putting financial pressure on the port of Tillamook, the hangar's owner. Any rent from anybody was welcome to defray the relentless ongoing cost of operations. On the evening of the 22nd of August, 1992, something would cause the bales to catch fire. Even though the timbers used to frame the hangar had been treated with fire retardant, they could not withstand the sustained heat of a fire fed by 135,000 dry bales of grass. It took just an hour for the roof to collapse, causing the firefighters to drop their equipment and run for their lives. While it may have only taken 27 days to build Hangar A, it would take 26 less than that for it to burn to the ground. Even once the main hangar structure was gone, the remains continued to smolder for a number of days. Everything in the hangar, including the unlucky couple's treasured RV, was a complete loss. The only mercy was that there were no injuries or loss of life. The exact nature of the blaze was never determined, although arson was one of the suspected causes. From time to time since the hangars were built, airships are rediscovered by another generation of entrepreneurs who come up with new designs for moving cargo and passengers using the airship's unique capabilities. Experiencing the sheer size of the Tillamook hangars firsthand can't help but build enthusiasm for these efforts. The vast emptiness inside seems to invite thinking big, earth-shaking ideas. But in reality, there are so very few things or activities which demand such a large enclosed space, particularly in such a remote place. An air museum, suitably enough, eventually found a home in Hangar B. However, the salty sea air never stopped eating away at the precious, rare aircraft. Most of the collection was recently forced to decamp for the high, dry plains near Madras, Oregon. The K-class airships of Tillamook fought the war in slow motion, and only on days when the wind wasn't blowing too hard or when the rain hadn't reduced visibility to zero. On the remaining suitably pleasant days, the airships would have purred up and down the coast, a sight which could have only brought comfort to those below who might be terrified by what lay just over the horizon. If the airships could have spoken, I imagine their kind souls might have said, "'Not tonight.' not while I'm watching over you. I found myself thinking about that final day in 1948 when the nautical-sounding mooring lines were cast off and the last airship departed from Tillamook and disappeared over the horizon. An observer back then had to have thought they would eventually return in one form or another. Just look at these big, beautiful hangars waiting for them. But it wasn't to be. Instead, faster and sleeker airplanes and helicopters would take their place. They would streak and scream up and down the coast with brutal, magnificent efficiency, but with none of the poetry of the gentle silver skyships they replaced and the simpler era to which they belonged. Terrence e. Gannon, and I'm not there yet. Thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Not There Yet Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And part of that is introducing our listeners to the great shows in the network. There's a lot to choose from, so here's another personal recommendation. Episodes of the Not There Yet podcast, like this one, feature historical vignettes. And along those same lines, you will want to give Chris chang Phillips a try as he hosts a great podcast called Let's Find Out, where he answers questions about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, where he is historian laureate. He provides some great historical insight into the city. It's really fascinating and well worth your time. You'll definitely learn something new. Find the Let's Find Out podcast along with a host of other great shows, at alpertapodcastnetwork.com. Not There Yet is a regular series of short essays podcasted from the second decade of the 21st century. They are all written and read by me, and the entire production is wholly owned by Interlog, Inc. of Calgary, Canada. All rights are reserved. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts what used to be known as iTunes. It really helps build the audience, which means I get to keep doing this. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATB. I like to say, like a bank, but better. Another reason why is there no fee, all in digital bank account. It's hard to believe, but there are basically no fees, so long as you do most of your banking digitally. If you're carrying higher balances, there's even interest paid. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of any other bank doing that. You can check out the program at atb.com listen. It's absolutely worth a moment of your time. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back soon with another episode. Subscribe to the Not There Yet podcast on your favorite podcast platform to know exactly when. Until then, remember, in life, it's the journey, not the destination. It really doesn't matter if you're not there yet.